with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 443. It is Wednesday, May 26, 2010, and what are we going to talk about today? I'm going to do one of my political shows today. I'm going to talk about politics, sort of. Uh, in a different light than you're probably accustomed to than anybody that uh, does a talk show or anything like what I do. Um, I'm going to talk about it from a standpoint of not just how do we fix things, but why we have to fix things in a way that I think a lot of people have given up on. And my unique view of that, and why we as preppers are part of that revolution. And to me, it really is a revolution. Uh, and it's a real revolution with meaningful outcomes and meaningful results, and we have a lot of work to do. I'm also going to warn you in advance. I'm going to tell you a few dark things about America today. I received a couple emails since my comments about not worrying about the New World Order that pretty much were reasonable emails. I got some foil hat ones, but I got some reasonable emails that said, Jack, look, if we're going to listen to you when you say don't sit around worrying about this stuff, we need to know you know what you're talking about. Now, some of the things that are out there that are conspiracy theories and all are way out there. But there's a lot of really dark stuff going on um, with the power elites. If you can't show us that you're aware of what they are, know what they are, and understand what's going on, how can we take you at your word when you say, hey, look, we can fix this through conventional means. We don't just have to run around screaming and being mad. And various versions of that. I thought it was reasonable. Uh, I thought there were some of the more reasonable people coming from that view that I've ever heard from. Those of you who sent me emails like that, thank you. It's thought-provoking. So I'm not going to do a lot of it. But I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that um, that have gone on in our past that are indicative of what we can expect to happen in our future with the type of government we have. I'm going to talk to you about what type of government we really have today. I'm going to talk to you about the fact that we don't live in a democratically elected republic form of government anymore. We live in a fascist state, and I'm going to prove that to you. I'm going to prove that to you today without anything other than reading to you what a fascist state is. In a textbook version, I'm going to let you make your own decision. And I'm going to talk to you about how we can fix it, why we need to fix it, what it has to do with our own survival, uh, both short and long term, what it has to do with the survival of our children, and why it has to be done um, on some levels at the ballot box. But before we ever get to the ballot box, why it has to start with an individual view of survivalism. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and knock out our housekeeping. Housekeeping item one, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one, Tactical Response Gear and Tactical Response from James Yeager. Um, really cool stuff in his shop, man. You can find anything that's tactical or tactical that you're looking for uh, at tacticalresponsegear.com. 
I want to talk to you more about James's, uh, James's training today, though. You know, I'm a big proponent of the Second Amendment, and I believe that every American uh, should exercise, not just re recognize, but exercise the right to keep and bear arms. I believe that the more armed citizens that we have in this nation, the better. I also believe, though, that if you're going to be armed, you need to know how to use your weapon efficiently and safely and precisely and properly every time that you might be called upon to do so. You might live a life where you hope you're never called upon to actually have to use it even once, but should that day ever arise, you need to be proficient with what you're doing because that's the responsibility that goes along with the right. If you want that type of training, check out Tactical Response for some of the best training you'll find. Uh, next up today is the Lifesaver 4000 water bottle um, from ready-made resources. Uh, I love this product, and I also have a new product uh, that, that just came in. It's the Lifesaver Jerry Can, which is basically a Lifesaver water bottle on steroids. It's a bigger can that can purify a lot more water at one time and carry more water at one time. Both of these products are exceptional. Uh, they filter down to .015 microns, and that will make just about any water out there uh, safe to drink. I'm going to be taking that jerry can up to the bug out location. We're going to take a vacation uh, Friday uh, through Monday, so there will be no show on Friday or Monday uh, in the coming week um, because uh, it's time for Memorial Day, and it's time for us to go out to the bug, bug out location and start getting some stuff done up there. We will be filming a video of that uh, jerry can, so you guys can take a look at that. But, you know, there's a lot of things wrong out there, and none is more true of the things that are wrong with our water. And as bad as it is that some of the crap they put in there, um, if we have a disaster, it could become a lot worse. Because I'd rather drink fluorinated water out of the tap than sewage-infested water off the ground, which could be what we're left with in, in certain disaster scenarios. So I think having a method like this for water uh, purification is absolutely imperative for the modern survival. So check out the Lifesaver water bottle and check out the Lifesaver jerry can. Moving on from there, remember to connect with us, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, our forum, all that good stuff's available at survivalpodcast.com. I put up a new simple little video last night on YouTube. It's uh, me cooking some grilled beef heart. And uh, not real instruction or anything, just kind of cool. And remember yesterday I, I told you that I'd put up a video on the YouTube channel of a review of our new French Press Coffee Tumblr. I think you should check those out. They're still available for pre-order at the discount price. We're already over. Um, I don't know when we're going to pull that down. And, but right now we just felt like if people are pre-ordering them, hey, um, you know, let's, let's get as many as we can ordered initially. That way we can buy as many as possible, get the biggest discount on them, and actually make some money on them long term. All right, last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get exclusive content available only to members. There's over $100 worth of free ebooks. There's discounts from 20 supporting vendors. Uh, there's 20 members-only videos, and there's some other great stuff. But Memorial Day's coming, and I'm taking two days off, so I'm going to, you know, Make it right since I won't be here for two days. I'm doing one of the best specials I've ever done on Member Support Brigade ever, uh, and I mean ever, uh, from now till Memorial Day. The, the code is PATRIOT, uh, all lowercase letters PATRIOT. If you use the code PATRIOT, you'll get your first year of the Member Support Brigade for $30. That's $20 off. Uh, I don't know that I'll email that or post it anywhere or anything. I might just put it on the show. Uh, and that's probably the only place you'll hear it. I might throw it in the forum and on Twitter, uh, but I won't be doing a mass email or anything like that. This is for listeners that listen all the time. So, again, Patriot is your discount code. Get your first year of the MSB for $30. Um, yes, that's for new customers only. If you have an existing account you want to convert, sign up for a new account. 
cancel the old one. Uh, that's the best I can do with you for that. It's a logistical nightmare to do anything else with PayPal. With that, I want to get into the main topic of today's show. Again, I want to talk about how how this show came up and how, why I almost didn't do it. Um, I recently said, like I said, made some comments about Alex Jones and the New World Order and, and his view of that and how it's too extreme, but I agree with a lot of things. And what I've been asked for from people is, well, what do you believe? What What is really out there? How bad is the system with the global elites? People, I believe we are enslaved. I believe we are enslaved as a society. I believe that... Uh, in the words of one great speaker, no people are, and I don't, this is a paraphrase, but there is no more enslaved a man than a man who falsely believes that he is free. You're most enslaved when you believe you're free and you're not. I believe a lot of the things that we hear that come out from people and sources like Alex Jones are absolutely factual. Uh, when we hear that some of the things that have gone on in the past specifically that are now a matter of public record are true, it's hard to say they're not when they're true. Let me give you one, and, and I, I, again, I don't want this to turn into beating up America Day or beating up any particular president or uh, any particular organization or any particular person day. Things just are what they are. And if we don't occasionally look at things and see where they were, it's hard to understand where they are today, and it's hard to affect them in a way that will change tomorrow. Before I give you some of this stuff, I want to I want to frame this right, though. I don't think I've done that yet. My belief is that this nation is still the greatest bastion of freedom in the world. I believe that we have more opportunity here than any other place on the planet. I believe that if our people will wake up, we can change things with the system that we have. I'll tell you why I think we have to use the system we have in a bit. I think that it's not about you voting the way that I would vote or me voting the way that you would vote. It's not about Democrats, Republicans, or even Libertarians or Constitutionalists. It's about simply people accepting the fact that we don't have to be led by others, but we can choose the direction of our country for ourselves. And if we're going to accept the fact that somebody else is running this country, that it's not really our congressmen and senators right now, uh, it's not really our president. It's a conglomeration of them and, and, and corporate entities and some of the wealthiest people in the world. If we're going to change that, we have to accept the fact that it's real first. So let me give you a couple different things here. This is a fact. Um, in 1945, toward the end of World War II, one of the things that was revealed by the Treasury Department uh, to our Congress, so this is public record, was that United Steel which, of course, is a United States company, produced the following percentages of war munitions for Nazi Germany. Pig iron, 50.8%. Pipe and tubes, 45.5%. Universal plate, 41.4%. Galvanized sheet, 38.5%. Heavy plate, 36%. Explosives, 35%. Wire, 22.1%. And I have those numbers out of a book called The Nazi Hydra in America, the Suppressed History of a Century by Glenn Yedden and John Hawkins. And again, that is public record. What does that mean? That means that while the entire country was united by the cause of defeating a great evil that was Nazi Germany, and I do believe they were a great evil, while people were being asked to 
uh, ration gasoline, paint uh, the tops of their car headlights to protect us from potential bombing raids, uh, when people were being asked to give up metal and rubber and tin, when our women were being sent into the workplace in numbers they had never before seen, and while our young men were being set off to die in all four corners of the earth at levels never before seen in history, because we had to win this war, one of the largest companies in the United States was supplying our enemy with the things that they needed to continue the war. And it's worse than that. It goes into, there's a, co a company that was called IG Farben that was uh, invested in heavily by the Rockefellers that produced an additive uh, for the fuels for German aircraft and the Luftwaffe would have never even been off the ground without these fuels. These are all facts. Um, another fact, World War I. Prior to World War I and the U.S. getting involved in it, uh, the United States people were completely and totally opposed to World War I. They wanted nothing to do with it. Zero. Zero. I mean, it was almost impossible to find anybody in this country, an average citizen, that would say, hey, yeah, we should go get involved in that world war going on over there in Europe. Uh, our people at the time were not globalist in any way, shape, or form. They pretty much were like, we're Americans. Let's just rock on with ourselves. We've got enough problems over here uh, with these, uh, these boom and bust things that are being done by this new Federal Reserve thing. We don't need this. And um, so a decision was made that if a U.S. ship was sunk... Um, by uh, Germany, that would turn the tide and America would support the war. And the Lusitania was sent across the Atlantic, right through German-controlled waters, and allowed to be sunk with no military escort or support whatsoever from either the Allies or from the Americans, stating that since it was under an American flag, there should have been no worries about it whatsoever. The interesting thing, and again, a matter of public record, on April 22, 1915, a notice was published in the New York Times. The notice read as follows. Notice, travelers intending to embark on the Atlantic voyage are reminded in the state of, the, uh, the state of war exists between Germany and her allies and Great Britain and her allies that the zone of war includes waters adjacent to the British Isles, that in accordance with formal notice given by the Imperial German government, vessels flying the flag of Great Britain or any of her allies are liable for destruction in those waters, and that travelers sailing in the war zone on ships of Great Britain or her allies do so at their own risk. Imperial German Embassy, Washington, D.C., close quote. So, Prior to the Lusitania taking all of those Americans who went to their death and plunged into that water, the German government posted a notice, and that notice was actually posted again in the New York Times on the same page that announced the departure of the Lusitania. When you start looking at things like this, and I could keep going, and I may talk about a few more of them today, um, it's a dark hole. It's a very dark hole, and it's a place where you start to look and you start to realize that, you know, all the things that we're told in school and all the things that we're taught about how uh, great our country is are only half-truths. That there's also a sinister side, and it's not about the nation or its people. It's about the people behind the scenes. It's about the people behind the curtain that actually run things. And it keeps going. But before that, I want to tell you something that may be really, really hard for you to accept. Some of you have been through this with me before. I think it will be even more clear today, though, how right I am about this. 
Uh, your nation is not capitalist. Your nation right now is not behaving economically like a federal republic. Um, your nation isn't even a socialist uh, state, uh, though you may think it is. It has elements of socialism in it, and we call that fascist. You live in a fascist nation today. Uh, there is no way around this. There's nothing you can say or do that will convince me otherwise. And rather than try to compel you to believe that we have a fascist economy, I'm sitting in Wikipedia right now. Now, I know they're not the greatest source of all things, but when it comes to general textbook definitions, encyclopedia-type things, they're pretty good. And there's no nothing here to try to convince you of anything. It just describes the general characteristics of fascist economies. Let me read these few paragraphs to you. And you won't see 100% alignment. But remember, you never see 100% alignment with anything. But look for the alignments you do see. An inherent aspect of fascist economies was economic disagree, meaning the economy where the government exerts strong directive influence and effectively controls production and allocation of resources. In general, apart from nationalizations of some industries, fascist economies were based on private property and private initiative, but these were contingent upon service to the state. Fascism operated from a social Darwinist view of human relations. Their aim was to promote superior individuals and weed out the weak. In terms of economic practice, this meant promoting the interests of successful businessmen while destroying trade unions and organizations of the working class. Historian Gattuno Salvaneri, who argued in 1936, this is important, that fascism makes taxpayers responsible to private enterprise because, quote, the state pays for the blunders of private enterprise. Profit is private individual and individual, but loss is public and social. Fascist governments encourage the pursuit of private profit, profit and offered many benefits to large businesses but demanded in return that all economic activity should serve the national interest. One specific fascist economic belief was that prosperity would naturally follow once the nation had achieved a cultural and spiritual reawakening. Often different members of a fascist party would make completely opposite statements about the economic policies they supported. Once in power... Fascists usually adopted whatever economic program they believed was most suitable for their political goals. Long-lasting fascist regimes, such as that of Benito Mussolini in Italy, made drastic changes to their economic policy from time to time. Uh, Stanley Payne argued that while fascist movements defended the principle of private property, which they held inherent to the freedom and spontaneity of the individual personality, a common aim of all fascist movements was the elimination of autonomy or, in some cases, the existence of large-scale capitalism. The fascists opposed both international socialism and liberal capitalism, arguing that, the views represented, that their views represented a third way. They claimed to provide realistic economic alternative that was neither laissez-faire capitalism nor communism. They favored corporatism and class collaboration, believing the existence of inequity and separate social classes was beneficial, contrary to the views of the socialists. Fascists argued that the state had a role in mediating relations between these classes, contrary to the view of liberal capitalists. In most instances, fascists discouraged or banned foreign trade. Fascists believe that 
Too much international trade would make the national economy dependent upon international capital and therefore vulnerable to international economic sanctions. Economic self-sufficiency, known as autarky, was a major goal of most fascist governments. Fascism was highly militaristic, and as such, fascists often significantly increased military spending. Let's just take a few of those, shall we? Um, I love this one. I want to read this to you again. This guy, Salvamini, argued in 1936, Fascism makes taxpayers responsible for private enterprise because the state pays for the blunders of private enterprise, but profit is private individual, while loss is public and social. So in a fascist economy, the corporation, when they lose, it becomes the responsibility of the public, but when they win, they keep everything. Sound familiar? Um, let's try another one here that, uh, at the end. Fascism was highly militaristic, and as such, fashion often, fascists often increased military spending. Tell me when we've decreased military spending since ever. Ever. And I'm not for not supporting our military. God, folks, you know that. Not about all the stuff that we spend in the military-industrial complex. The, the budget's gone up every single year, over and over and over again. How about um, a, a fascist opposing international socialism and liberal capitalism, arguing that their view represented a third way? You know, a good little bit of socialism and some capitalism mixed together so that we have a strong safety net. Um, what about this one? Uh, they favored corporatism and class collaboration, believing the existence of inequality and separate social classes was beneficial. So it's good that there are different levels of, of class in society. That it's good that we have poor, that we have middle class, that we have upper class. That that's, oh, it's fine that there's a stratification there. Not everybody should be equal. But unlike a pure capitalist who says it's up to people to climb in between those layers on their own, the fascist believes the state had a role in mediating relations between these classes. What does it mean to mediate relations between the classes? It means to keep people stratified in their level. That's what it means. If we make it comfortable to be poor, if we per make it comfortable to be lower class, lower middle class, if we make it okay, those people will just shut up and do their jobs and do what we want them to do for society. And we'll have them at the bottom of society always. And that way we can build society on their backs. That's fascism. Capitalism says you might be down there, but it's up to you to get out. We're not going to mediate. We're not going to mediate that. Uh, what about labor unions? It says that the fascist opposes labor unions. Well, it also says that they often change their tactics and they do whatever is most politically beneficial to them at the time. That's about the only one that I can see here. Um, out of the entire description of fascism, it doesn't fit the way our government runs today. Our government's pretty friendly to labor unions today, but see, you change your position when it's more politically beneficial. Folks, we're in a fascist state. It's where we are. This is not America. This is fascist America. This is new America. This is not the America of Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, and Andrew Jackson. This is not the America where anybody could make anything happen that they wanted to as long as they didn't trample on the rights of someone else. It's not completely gone. It's not completely fascist. See, the problem is when you tell people that this is a fascist nation, the first thing they see is images of the gulags and the Nazis and the atrocities that they committed. That was one action of a fascist state. Um, in this nation, we had a democracy. 
in the 1800s. And during that period of time, this is after the Civil War, we pretty much exterminated the Native Americans off their lands and forced them onto reservations. It was a horrible action. It's something we shouldn't have done. It's something that is a dark spot in America, like many of the dark spots that we have. But we were a democracy, at least we were a democratically elected republic, taking those people and forcing them onto reservations and, and, and starving them out and killing off the livestock that they depended upon is not the hallmark of a democratically elected republic, but it was the actions of a democratically elected republic. So exterminating people, killing Jews, killing gypsies, um, making war on everybody around you is not necessarily the hallmarks of a fascist economy. A fascist economy is a system of economics and a system of government combined. And it's almost impossible in any place in the world today to find a place where a national level of economics is not blended into the government. They are all socialism, capitalism, you name it, no matter what it is. Government and the economy are tied together. So this is the state we live in today. So, so those of you that think that I just don't really think there's anybody out there pulling strings at I don't think there's any darkness in our past. I don't think that there's a contrived, a contrived uh, a group out there trying to, to force nations into wars, trying to do it even today, that I don't think there's been atrocities committed in the name of the United States. I, for instance, uh, one of the most recent atrocities that we've committed throughout the Middle East is the use of depleted uranium munitions. I don't think most people realize, but the second Gulf War was a nuclear war. In fact, the first Gulf War was a nuclear war. Uh, we take depleted uranium that is considered a toxic waste, and we form it into uh, munitions. And it doesn't explode, but it's very heavy and very dense, and it's really good at penetrating armor. It also vaporizes and de distributes that depleted uranium throughout, well, wherever you happen to open fire on somebody. And it stays there for a long time. And our government says it's completely safe. I'd like to see any member of our government that says it's completely safe eat a teaspoon of the stuff. And then tell me it's completely safe. So there's a lot of things like that to go on out there. But yet I get on the air every day and I say to prepare for disasters and I say to stay positive. Why? Because it's the only choice that we have. I, I want to now fulfill my promise to you. I want to explain to you why we, if we are to revolt, if we are to create a revolution in this country, if we are to take the country back, if we are to empower the ideals of our forefathers once again, if we are to make America finally live up to its promise, and what I mean by that is at one time, in the days of, let's say, Andrew Jackson, the promise of America was real, but it was only real for some. It was real for some, and there were others that were enslaved. And there was inequality, and there was not equality for women, but the promise was there. And the hope that was that one day as the society evolved, the promise would become available to all. But like many things, when you have something precious and special, and you keep it to a small group, by the time it becomes available to all, it's metamorphosized and it's not there anymore. And that's what happened in America, folks. The problem we have in America today is that no one has ever really experienced the real dream of America for everybody at the same time. And because of that, there's been a lot of inequity, there's been a lot of inequality, there's been a lot of abuse, and in both directions, and from all classes to all other classes of people. Because not everybody's ever had equal footing at the same time. And it, when we did, it was so brief. 
And the people that pull these strings, that's the last thing that they want. But, what we have today is still better than just about anything anybody else has anywhere else. And this is why it has to be done in the system that we have. What is our alternative? What's our alternative? A shooting revolution? Blood in the streets? Does that make any sense at all? Even if it came to it, even if it happened, and I'll tell you what, if they ever take down the northern and southern border of this nation and just say, we're all North America now, it damn well may come to it and I may be standing at your side during it. But even if it did, even if this nation was forced to fight the second American Revolution in the conventional sense instead of at the ballot box and instead of by informing people, and instead of by creating individual liberty in our own lives. Once it was over, once the victory was won, what would you do then if you were the guy in charge? And I know a lot of you will say, well, I'd get rid of this, and I'd get rid of that, and I would make sure that you couldn't do this anymore, and I would abolish this part of the government, and fine, fine. But are you going to be a dictator? Is that what your role would be if you were the guy in charge after the Second American Revolution? Do you think that makes any sense? Would you be a new king? Or would you be like George Washington that says, Oh, heaven forbid it. I'm not a king. I don't wish to be a king. I don't even really want to run this thing, but if you want me to, I will for a couple of years, and then somebody else has got to take over and do it. And if you're a noble person who would fight this war in the first place, the last thing you would want to be is a dictator, and you'd also know you couldn't run this country by yourself, and you'd want some help. And you'd realize that the people of this nation need to have a say in this nation. And the only way to do that is through fair and open elections. So the first priority you would have at the end of a revolution would be to set up fair and open elections. And once you did that, then every person that was over a certain age and uh, was a legal citizen of this country would be able to show up and vote. And then they would start voting for people. And, of course, you would probably want to have checks and balances. So you'd probably set up a nation with three legislative branches, an executive, a judicial, uh, and a legislative, so that no branch had anywhere near too much power. And uh, you would probably break the nation up into districts and, and voting blocks so that the power could be distributed throughout the nation. And you'd say, okay, now let's have elections. And you would end up exactly where we are today. That's why we have to do it with what we have, because if you look at any way that you would structure things, one way or another with some subtle differences, we would end up right back where we start. And here's the problem. If we don't fix us, if we don't fix the people that are here, if we don't fix Americans, and if, if we keep focusing on politicians instead of Americans, after that great revolution, within a generation or less, we would be right back here with the power elites back in charge. That's why they don't have a problem with free and open elections because they can buy their way in and out whenever they want to. And they can control the people to get in. And once in a while, you know, once in a while a renegade like Ron Paul gets in and you just slander him and make him out to be a nut and do whatever you can to bury it. There's a problem for the power elites, though, with people like Ron Paul. In spite of the fact that the man has all the charisma of a wet blanket on the beach, he speaks the truth. And when you speak the truth, and other human beings hear you, when you speak inherent human truth, they listen 
and they hear and they know it's true. It doesn't matter how many people said it's not. It doesn't matter if, if uh, they line up every credible source in the world to deny it. When you know it's true because it's human and it ain't, and you hear it, maybe for the first time in your life, it sparks a little bit of life in you. And that's why Ron Paul is one of the most dangerous men in American politics today for the power elites. I don't think the man will ever be president. But I wonder how many people he can wake up. I'd sure like him to be president. I, I would sure support him in that. I, my gut is it's not going to happen. Do we need someone to stand up with his truth and his nobility and a better ability to communicate that truth in the modern age where people worry more about how tall somebody is, what color their hair looks like, than the things that are coming out of their mouth before they'll listen to what's coming out of their mouth. And that's the real problem we have. It's not that Americans won't listen today, but they make the judgment about whether or not to listen, and then they listen. And you end up with them listening to people that pretty much say the same stuff, and whoever frames it better or happens to be taller on that day gets elected. It's the system that we're living in today. But we have to fix it. We have to fix it in our own homes first. We have to wake people up to the fact that they have power, that they have the ability to take care of themselves. All this fighting the New World Order nonsense that I hear from all these different alternative media sources, you're not fighting anything. At least most of you aren't. Some of you are. And I'll be fair to those of you that are. But tuning in and listening to somebody yell about it every day, you're not fighting anything. You know, going out, holding up a sign and screaming twice a year. You're not fighting anything because you're not changing anything. Remember, we had a show not too long ago. We introduced a new song, The Revolution Is You. By the way, I'm going to play the entire song today at the end of today's show instead of just a part of it. And what I said in there is, what is a revolution? A revolution is a fundamental shift in power in a relatively short period of time. If you're going to be part of a revolution, you have to create a fundamental shift in power. Well... See, the thing is, we have these things called elections, and our next election, you'll see some shift in power, but not a fundamental shift in power. You won't see a real change in the election cycle this time around. It's not going to happen. Next time around, you might see a little bit more, but it's still not going to happen. Turning the government back over to the establishment Republicans won't fix it. Turning it over to establishment Democrats hasn't fixed it. We're not going to get that fundamental shift in power with either party in its current form. It's not going to happen. You're going to get more of the same. Your nation is not a fascist slash socialist nation today because of Barack Obama. Barack Obama is your president because your nation has become a fascist and socialist state around you. Barack Obama is the consequence of being a fascist nation, not the cause. George Bush was the same. Not exactly the same, but the same in the, in the fact that he was the consequence, not the cause. George Bush, who, just like the fascist, changed his economic view to whatever political ambition was most important at the time. I believe the quote was, we have to destroy the free enterprise system to save it. But if we worry about them... We won't fix the problem because we'll just get them under a new name, under a new auspice. We're not going to fix it with, you know, just a tea party. I know this will piss some of you off, but I'll go so far as to say this. Until we have some Democrats that are considered tea party candidates, there's no such thing as a tea party candidate. There isn't. 
if the Tea Party is supposed to be a revolution against the government powers that be, then it can't be, we want to get rid of all things that are Democrat and replace them with all things that are Republican. Can't be. Won't work. You have to bring Democrats to the table. You have to bring Republicans to the table. You have to bring constitutionalists to the table, libertarians to the table, and independents to the table. We have to start figuring out what we can agree upon. You know? We have to start figuring out what we really believe, what our real values are as Americans. And we have to start realizing that we can't legislate those values. That we have to look at it from a very simple standpoint. That our founders were pretty brilliant men. And they understood it wasn't up to you to tell me how to live my life or me to tell you how to you live your life. It was up, up to us to live our lives in a way where we could you know, get what we want without interfering with or taking from each other. So if I want to live my life in a very what would be considered morally upstanding way, if I want to help charities, if I want to uh, you know, never touch an illegal drug in my life, if I don't ever want to smoke pot, if I want to live clean and live right in the eyes of the people around me, it's my business. If you want to sit on your ass on your couch and smoke a doobie every morning for breakfast, walk around high all the time, if you don't steal from anybody, if you don't hurt anybody, if you don't harm anybody, and if you're a, an adult and you're not doing that to children and, 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 and setting them up for failure where they have no other choice, if you are just yourself doing that, it's nobody but, nobody's business but yours. And that's a common value, and that is basically that people should be free. And that's the first value that we should be coming together with in America. And the only way that we'll ever come together with that value is to experience it. The reason that most people don't really unite around the single cause of freedom is they have no idea what freedom is because they've never experienced it. Many of you have experienced freedom. It's why you come back and listen to this show every day. Even when I talk about something like today, some of you are going, this really isn't my topic, but yet I'm still listening to this man. You know what it is? It's not me. It's you. It's you went and did something. You went and did something somewhere at some point since you started listening to this. And you went, holy crap, I control this. Maybe you were a person that never picked up a firearm in your life. And you got out and got somebody to train you. And you got over a fear of it. And you became confident with it. And you became empowered. Maybe you were a person that never had eaten a substance in your life that didn't come packaged from a store. That went out and put a seed in the ground. And 90 days later, put something on your plate that you produced for yourself. Maybe you're a person that went out and strapped a little piece of something up on your roof and made electricity come out of it. Maybe you're someone that walked through your whole life just believing what you were told and listened to this show one day and decided, you know what, what I'm being told isn't the truth. I shall seek it for myself. One way or another, you did something. You didn't think alone. You didn't just think about it. You didn't just consider it. You did something. And when you took the action, you experienced the freedom. And then you can listen and go, I think, I think pot should be illegal. Jack's crazy. But we still unite around the, the concept of freedom, don't we? See, can you imagine what would happen to our nation if we sent people to Washington? That even if somebody wanted... Bigger government roles, if somebody wanted smaller government roles, if they all at least agreed upon a few things. One, that the Constitution of the United States is the law of the land. Not because I say so, because it is. 
It exists that way. It was put in that way. If you ask any, any basic legal student, what is the foundational law of America? Constitution. So since it is reality, we just accepted it. And we stopped trying to get around it. We stopped trying to finagle our way around it. We stopped trying to, to change it other than by a, a vote of the people through the, through the amendment process that was set up. Anything other than that, it's written in stone. If we sent people to Washington, Democrat, Republican, I don't care what their view is, if they at least carried that. Two, that individual rights come from a creator, no matter whether you're a secularist or a religious person, it doesn't matter. That by being created as a human, the rights that are listed in our Constitution and that are decried in our Declaration are inherently human, and the state has no business interfering with them, and its sole duty, above all others, is to defend and protect them. If we could get that much in common with the people that we send to our state capitals and to our federal capital, we would never all agree on everything. We would never create a utopia. But you know what? We'd have an accountable government to its people. And if we could get 60% of America to think that way, just 60%. You don't have to change your ideals. You don't have to believe what I believe. You just simply have to accept the fact. We have a foundational law. It is our Constitution. It decries rights on you. Your government's primary responsibility is to protect your rights. Not to interfere with them. Not to ensure that you have them. Not to ensure that you act upon them. Not to ensure that they're equally distributed. But to ensure that anybody that says, I have this right, and acts on it, is free to do so until the point that they interfere with the rights of another. I can swing my fists all I want. I can swing my fists till my shoulders dislocate and hurt myself if I want to. That's my right. If I want to be stupid, fine. I can go out and punch a brick wall until my hands go bloody. But if I punch you in the face, I've violated your right. Now the government steps in. How simple is that? How easy is that to understand? But you'll never hear a politician speak this way until you're ready to hear it. And some of you out there are going, God, I wish I heard a politician. I, but you are not one. When I say you are ready to hear it, I'm speaking to you as Americans. Your brothers and your sisters around you. They told there's enough Americans that want that message, that understand that message, that can articulate that message, that can accept that message. You'll never get a politician delivering it. Because politicians say what gets them elected. And more so, in our system today, they refrain from saying things that might get them thrown out. That's more the tactic. The tactic in, t in today's elections is not really to get elected. It's to stay in office. The majority of our politicians that really do things that matter, we focus on the presidency because it's the big prize, right? And that every four years, there's two guys that duke it out for that. And every, every eight years, there's a new one. Because we have, thank God, we have a limitation to this. But in the Senate, in the Congress, come on, these guys are there for 30 and 40 years. Their job, as far as they're concerned, is to stay in office. Well, if we come down to fundamental facts, fundamental reality, innate human qualities, a few things that we can agree upon, then we can have a district that's 100% Republican or 80% Republican. We can have a district that's 80% Democrat. We can have a district 
where the Democrat will always win or the Republican will always win. And there will be districts like that. If you define an ideology and you look at a group of people based on the living conditions, they will tend to gravitate to one of those ideologies. But if we can agree on these simple things, then it will be very easy for that group of Democrats that lives in that particular congressional district to go, we're for Democrat principles, but this guy is not for American principles. I don't care how much of a Democrat he is, he's not also an American, and he's got to go. He's on somebody's payroll, it ain't ours, he's out the door. And people start being active again. Well, how's this going to happen? It can't start with somebody giving a great speech. It can't start if we had 20 great candidates that fit this mold, well-funded, and we put them out in America today, even that won't get it done yet. America has to wake up to its own power first. That's why I preach gardening, self-defense, and preparedness. That's why I talk about it. Because, yes, if the shit hits the fan, it will be there for you and it will save your ass. And that's pretty damn important. But the other side of it is it's very hard to find a modern survivalist that believes that we should be dependent on government. Even if they start out that way, even if they start out as a socialist, and there's people that have listened to this show that have flat out said, I am a socialist, but I'm interested in this stuff anyway. And as I've communicated with them over the two-year period, I've watched them change. Not because I made a compelling case for why you should be more you know, conservative and less socialist, or more libertarian and less communist, but because when you take actions, meaningful, relevant actions that begin to separate you from the systems of support that you've been lied to about, that you've been told that you need, you become less beholden to government and you become, this is the important part, far more beholden to freedom. See, if you figured out that, hey, instead of retiring at 70 poor at the poverty level, and uh, I prepare my whole life the right way, 55, 60, I can check out as a prepper. And I can make survival preparedness into my retirement plan. And I can have everything that I need taken care of at that point. I can spend the last 30 or 40 years of my life enjoying those years instead of suffering through them, living hand to mouth. And then a politician stands up and says, oh, if we don't do this, we won't save Social Security. You go, so? So? I know it's not, I'm 40, I know I'm not getting it anyway. Let's, you know what, why don't we figure out how to take care of the old people that are already stuck on it, let's wean everybody else off, and let's kill this damn thing, because it doesn't work. It's destroying our nation. It's not about freedom. It's about enslavement. You'll never get somebody to believe that until they believe they can do it for themselves. When you have a politician stand up and say, Oh God, look, if we don't fix this, 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 this energy policy thing, we're not going to have enough energy to run the country someday. The country will collapse. Well, when people start to develop their own individual energy independence, they go, if I can do it, we can as a nation. Come on, let's quit screwing around. And if this is this big a deal, if there's that big a problem, if we're worried about the polar bear's ice caps melting, if we're worried about running out of oil, if we're running about you know, not being able to mine this or that or pollution or anything, then let's stop talking about it and let's do it. Right? You guys spend billions of dollars doing nothing. Running your mouths, creating hot air. Maybe we can use the hot air to run some generators. 
But if it's that big a problem, instead of having an $800 billion bailout saying you're going to create green energy jobs and training people to change a freaking light bulb, why didn't you take that money and just start putting up solar and wind farms all over America? If it's that big a deal, let's go do it. If it's not that big a deal, stop lying to us. No bullshit. No nonsense. No Fed 57 blue ribbon communities. Either we need alternative energy and let's build the crap, or we don't need it and quit lying to us. You want to talk about scaring the hell out of your elected officials? Can you imagine... 10% of the United States starting to say that message. 10%. 10% starting to show up at those town hall meetings and not, oh, we don't want this, we want that. Cutting's right. No bullshit. I, it, could you see if we started having debates where the moderators in these debates would ask the guy a question, it's a yes or no question, and the guy would talk for 45 seconds and never give a yes or a no, and the moderator, instead of deferring to the opponent, would say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you didn't understand, politician. I'm sorry, but if you're going to run the state of or the nation of, then maybe you need to have enough intelligence there to be able to answer yes and no questions with a yes or a no. So before we move on, how about just give us a yes or a no, a thumbs up or a thumb down. Flip a freaking coin, pick a side, give us an answer because we're not going to take this shit anymore. That will fix it. That will fix it. How many times have you listened to a politician talk and go, the guy didn't answer the question, and who pushes back? No one! When they push back, they push back soft, they let the guy deflect it again, and they go on. What if we just said, that's not even allowed anymore. It's not allowed. If you are, at, if you are running for office, and in an official capacity, you are asked a question, they can be answered with a yes or a no. You can say whatever the hell you want after the word yes or the word no, but you have to answer the freaking question. You know what? Right now, right now, someone's sending this piece of my audio to someone that's been elected to some office somewhere, and it's scaring the shit out of them. Not because of me, because he's going, oh, hell, they might listen to this guy. He's nuts, but he's pretty smart, too. That he's breaking it down into the most simplistic reality possible. Accountability isn't a spreadsheet that tells us how they spent the money they stole from us. Accountability is what will you do before you're elected? What will you do in this circumstance? Okay? And you give a freaking answer that can be understood. And then later on, you either do it or you don't. And when you don't, you're accountable to the people because they know what you said and they know what you did. Accountability is we stop taking bills and pieces of legislation and making them 1,600 pages long with all kinds of crap in them that have absolutely nothing to do with the main bill. And we say, if you want to do a bill about health care, too broad. Fine. What do you want to take care of? Well, we're worried about people uh, that can't get coverage. Great. You want to fix that, then you come up with a bill, probably two, three pages long, that's just about making sure people can get coverage. But we also need, no, 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 no. You want to do something else, that's different. You put each thing that you jackasses are going to do in front of us as a people. You put it in language that an eighth grader can understand. You don't bury crap in it. You don't make writers anymore. You give it to us. We read it. We tell you what, you th what we think. 
If you want to go against our will because something tells you that you have to follow your conscience, fine, but you'll be accountable to us. You'll be accountable and we'll know it. Because there may be a time when an elected official knows something you don't. There may be a time when they have to do something you don't want them to do. There may be a time when they have to do something that they don't want to do. But we damn sure should know exactly what they said and what they did. Now, I don't care if you're a Democrat, a Republican, or anything. If you believe in democracy, I've just given you a common value that we should be able to unite behind as Americans. Our politicians should say what they're going to do. We should have a very clear, easy way to determine whether they've done it or not. The legislation that we review as people before these jackasses vote on it should be simple and easy to understand and limited in scope and function to a single issue at a time. I don't see how anybody anywhere can object to any of that. If you believe in freedom and if you believe in America and if your, your hope is that the nation will someday again be ruled by its people. There's your solution. You don't have to... You know, here's the thing about this. See, I think if we keep working on individual empowerment, individual freedom, individual sovereignty, individual liberty, we can get to this place together. Even with vast differences in our political ideals. That we can get to a point where you don't have to convince your buddy who's a, a raving liberal that it would be better if we had less taxes. You know, and you, can, you don't have to convince him that even though he's being told he's going to have less taxes by his candidate, he's not really going to. All you have to do is convince him that we should actually know what we're voting on and we should be able to hold our politicians accountable. I talked about changing things if you were in power. If I was in power and you said, Jack, how would you change the legislative process? I would do exactly what I've said so far. I would limit any piece of legislation to a single concept, a single thing. I would say that any bill that's going to be passed that's going to create a new law needs to be written on 20 pages or less. If it can't be written on 20 pages or less, obviously you're not following procedure, and I would even set the font size at maybe 10, so that somebody, one of these jackasses, couldn't cheat and come in there with a, you know, the stuff where they print the entire New Testament on a grain of rice or something to get their crap in. And, uh, I'd say, here's how this is going to work, guys. From now on, when you have a piece of legislation, you'll put it together on its 20 pages or less. On the front of that will be a cover sheet. On that cover sheet will be the name of the legislation, uh, a summary of what the legislation does. This will be prepared by a third party that doesn't give a damn whether it passes or fails. The cost of it, the projected future cost of it, the potential rewards and the potential risks, very short, summarized in brief, uh, based on feedback from proponents and opponents. A list of sponsors of the legislation, members of Congress and or the Senate who have sponsored it, like we have now, and a list of what we would call anti-sponsors. People that want to go on record before the debate even begins as being opposed to it would be listed as well. Um, once that is done, that piece of legislation would go before the American people for a period of no less than 10 days. Uh, very simple, easy to understand. People could read the entire bill in a few uh, minutes if they really wanted to and make a decision on it. They get those 10 days to scream, holler, yell, write emails, do everything else, and then and only then will our Congress vote on it. Each one of those would be wrapped up in a nice little PDF file and an automated system would be made that at the time your congressional clown or your senator pushes yay or nay on a button, it immediately enters it onto his website. You can see every piece of legislation that the jackass has ever voted for or against, the summary, and whether he voted yes or no, whether he sponsored or anti-sponsored the legislation to begin with. 
You, by clicking the link, you can open it up and review what that was. When your sponsor votes yes or no, to get them in the understanding of the habit to be concise and tell us what they really mean, we'll take a page from Twitter with a little bit more leeway. They get 300 words after yes or no to explain to their constituents why they voted yes or no and why they would do it again and what they believe that it will do for them. All of that is 100% automated since we live in the information age. Imagine being able to listen to your congressional clown run his mouth about this and that and just pull up his website and there's his picture and there's every piece of legislation but it's not 1600 pages of legislation it's two or three pages that are very specific very direct and you understand what it cost where it came from where it went and what it's supposed to do and you get to know if the if, uh, one thing I left out source of the funds not just how much you're going to where are we going to get the money and does that DV, does that take funds from something else that's already in existence there you go that would be it. And I, would be, I don't care who you vote for in that, that scenario. I have enough faith in the American people that I believe if we took away all the bullshit and we quit hiding things and made it on the surface and easy to understand, the American people would fix the problem. That's it. How do we get there, though? Well, we don't get there by voting for the lesser of two evils, folks. Stop it. All of you that write me, I would like to vote for a libertarian, but I'm afraid that'll split the concern. Oh, God, stop it. So what? What are you going to get? You get another George Bush? Destroys the free enterprise system so he can save it? That's great. That worked out real well. You know, well, I'm hearing a lot of buzz now. Barack Obama and illegal immigration. Bush was ready to sign the bill too. We're getting to a point where there's no difference between these people. only thing that we have a difference between them is the marketing. Because we can't see what they really think and what they really do. It's hidden. But none of this can happen. Until we as a people come together and start fixing things in our own backyards. And I don't mean our own backyards like our local elections, our town council and stuff like that. It's important too. I mean your backyard. I mean when you walk out the back door instead of the front door of your house and stand there with grass under your feet, fix that first. And help your neighbor fix his. Your neighbor will help his neighbor fix theirs. And then all of this evil shit doesn't matter as much. Because like I said earlier. Even if we had the big revolution, if we took over, we still have to put the, the power back in the hands of the people. The problem we have right now is not that the power is not in the hands of the people, but the people don't know their power. They don't know what they're supporting or not supporting. They don't know what it's costing them. All we have to do is clarify things for the people. Your fellow Americans are smarter than you think. They might have been turned into sheeple and ostriches. They might have their head in the sands. They might not be willing to accept some of the, the bad things about America or the bad things that could happen to them that make you a preference. But they're human beings. If we give up on our fellow human beings, we don't have anything left. So if you want to make a change, if you want to be part of a revolution, if you want to dig into the new, new world order conspiracies, that's fine. I'll even tell you a lot of what you'll dig and find is awful and true. And you can find so many things on public record that are awful. Folks, awful. Horrible things. It's hard to believe your nation have anything to do with what we did it. But it won't change anything other than to wake you up enough to realize it's not what you've been told. But what will make a difference? What will make a difference? The actions you take in your life to make sure that you live as free as you possibly can. Do not spread liberty at the point of a gun. You spread liberty by example. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. 
helping you figure out how to live that better life on the time you get tough. Nobody up there cares. They're living 